Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. So take your Bibles, open them to Exodus chapter 25 and Hebrews chapter 9, as we'll start in Hebrews in a Bible study that I've entitled, Jesus and the Tabernacle, part one. Jesus and the Tabernacle, part one. We're in a study verse by verse through the book of Hebrews, and we have finished chapter eight, which is the highlight and the pinnacle of Hebrews. It's the chapter that introduces to us and emphasizes the new covenant that superseded the old covenant. And in chapter nine, we move on to the superiority of Jesus over the tabernacle, which is an interesting concept because I don't think many of us really think that way. Uh, We don't really even think about equating the tabernacle to Jesus. Now we may have, a little bit of how we might think that today is, is that this is just a building, it doesn't matter. Uh, It's not a special building, it's just a building, and what makes it special is our worship of Jesus Christ in it. That what makes the building special is that we use it for Jesus, and so I guess we could say, we probably don't think this way too much, but I guess we could say that Jesus is greater than the building. And I know that's like obvious, but it isn't so obvious to people that are hung up on tradition. There it isn't so, things aren't so obvious to people that are hung up on their own, you know, maybe caught by their emotions or as we learn, they're backsliding and they don't care about these things. But for the Hebrews, they, they needed to understand not only was Jesus the greater than the tabernacle, but, but Jesus was the fulfillment of the tabernacle, which tells us that the tabernacle was a picture of Jesus Christ. And I want to unfold that for you from the text. But notice with me in chapter 9 of Hebrews, just to know where, where we're headed. And this will be our first study in Hebrews when we finish this series on the tabernacle. But notice in verse 1. Then indeed, even the first covenant and the ordinance of divine service and the earthly sanctuary for a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, Behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which there were the golden pot that had the manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tablets of the covenant, and above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail." Now, what Paul's chosen not to speak in detail in Hebrews, we're going to spend some detailed time looking at so that you can have a concept. Now, this is something they would know readily. This was part of their worship system. But the first thing you need to understand is the tabernacle is not the temple. Those are two separate buildings. As a matter of fact, there was more than one temple. There was the temple of Solomon, and then that was destroyed, and then it was rebuilt under the time of Nehemiah. And then you have Herod come along and he didn't rebuild the temple, he remodeled it and expanded it and made it much bigger. Then that temple was destroyed and now there's coming a third temple. The tabernacle is not the temple. 
The tabernacle was given to the children of Israel, that fledgling growing nation group of people that was delivered from slavery in Egypt. And you guys remember their leader. His name was Moses. So that's where we get the tabernacle. It was given to them as a place of worship. Come back now to Exodus chapter 25 as we start to learn about this tabernacle. Now, you Bible students, you will find something very interesting in the book of Hebrews. The temple is not mentioned in Hebrews. It's not mentioned, but the sanctuary or the tabernacle is often mentioned. And that's because the tabernacle was the original place of worship for the children of Israel. Now, when you think of tabernacle again, we don't have much of a frame of reference today. In your mind, just think of it this way, a portable worship tent, because that's what it was, a portable worship tent, that as the children of Israel wandered through the wilderness, they were able to, to put down their roots to rest, and set up the tabernacle for worship, and then when it was time to go, they'd pack it up and take it with them. And it was given to Moses to give to the people very specific instructions on how to build it and what to use. So Exodus 25 is a very high point in the study of the book of Exodus. It's that place where the children of Israel have affirmed their dedication to following God. They have just affirmed their agreement. And we learned last time that agreement in the Bible is the word covenant. They just agreed to the covenant with God. They're excited. They're ready to live in what's known as a theocracy. They want to live with God as their head. And so they're at this place and God tells them and gives them instruction on what to do. Notice in verse 1 of Exodus 25. It says, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they might bring me an offering from everyone who gives willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, scarlet yarn, fine linen thread, goat's hair, ram skins, dyed red, badger skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, and spices for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. The word from God through Moses was for the people to bring the supplies, to bring the best. It was for them to be prepared to sacrificially give on behalf of the mutual worship of this new nation. And he wanted them to build a tabernacle. Notice the purpose in verse eight. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them according to all that I show you. That is the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings just show you, so you shall make it. And so the tabernacle becomes a type and a picture of Jesus Christ. All of its pieces point to the coming Messiah each one of them that we'll look at in coming studies one by one. But I wanna show you something, and you're probably familiar with this because we've looked at it, but just for sake of reminder, go to John chapter one with me. John chapter one, because John says something very interesting about Jesus Christ in verse 14. John chapter one, verse 14. Just to show you that this is a theme throughout the Bible, 
Notice what John says of Jesus in John 1 verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, because we've looked at this verse a few times, you may already have done this, but circle the word dwelt to help you remember. You could better translate that, or it could be understood as that Jesus came and tabernacled among us. It's actually a reference to his connection to the temporary tabernacle. And there's some some illustrations in a general sense for you note takers comparing Jesus to the tabernacle. Like for example, number one, the tabernacle was temporary. It served a specific purpose for a specific time. Later on the temple would come and later on Jesus would come. Well Jesus too, he only dwelt for us or dwelt with us for a short time, about 33 years. And his time on earth was temporary. And once he fulfilled his purpose, he ascended into heaven. Secondly, the tabernacle was in the wilderness. That's when it was used. Jesus too, our Lord, dwelt in the wilderness. The Bible says that he didn't even have a place to lay his head. And even though he had places like Capernaum and areas where that were his home base, he dwelt in the wilderness, not even having a place to lay his head. Number three, the tabernacle was humble in appearance. Like when you saw the tabernacle, it looked like a big tent. It wasn't very impressive. It was covered in animal skins and looked similar to many of the tents that were being used by the people. Well, Jesus, the Bible says, was also humble in appearance, taking on the form of a servant. Not only that, but number four, the tabernacle was God's dwelling place among men. It was the place, as we saw in verse eight, make me a sanctuary that I might dwell among them. Exodus 25, verse eight. Well, Jesus, one of his names were given in Isaiah was Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. And he is a place where we now, is the only, he's the only mediator. So that not is he with us, but now he dwells among us and he's the only mediator between God and man. That's the place where God meets us is in Jesus Christ. And then finally, number five, the tabernacle is the place that provided the sacrifice for sin. And it was in the tabernacle where daily offerings for sin of the nation were offered, but Jesus Christ on the cross was the place of sacrifice for all sin. So there's a lot of comparison in a general way, and then we'll see in a specific way all of the pieces. Now pick up again in verse 1 as we see the beginning of the tabernacle where it says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they may bring me an offering. From everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take my offering. The first thing you notice is that in order for the tabernacle to be built, the resources and supplies would come from God through his people. That Moses was to tell the people, bring the stuff so that we can build this tabernacle, this sanctuary. That the building of and the assembling of and the creation of this tabernacle would involve the people and their sacrificial willing giving. Don't miss that in verse 1. That you were to bring your offering with a willing heart. Not against your will and not forcibly. 
And this is so different sometimes than what we hear within Christianity, you know, what we hear within perhaps televangelists on YouTube now where the, the idea of giving is always tied to some greed or, you know, give, give, give so that you'll have so much more and you'll have a hundredfold and a thousandfold. It, it really has been such a long time since I have been able to watch on Christian TV any of those Athons, whatever they call them, you know, all those bagathons that they do, and they have a guy at the piano saying all kinds of stuff, making stuff up as he goes. I don't know about you, but I can't stomach it. It frustrates me, just as a believer, let alone a pastor. It just frustrates me. It's just not true. Giving unto the Lord is a true and important part of our spiritual life, it's an act of worship. But it's not to be done by twisting your arm and promising you some weird, finding some obscure passage somewhere and then using the numbers to twist around the numbers so that, you know, if you give according to Ezekiel 37.8, you'll have a 37.8 return on your money or whatever it is. It's just not from the Lord. Here, here is the heart of God. And I, I guess you could say it this way. Here's the heart of God. God says this to us as his followers. I've given you everything. That's God's voice to us. I've given you everything. Now, some of you don't believe that. Some of you just don't believe that everything you have came from God. You know, the Bible teaches it, but I think just practically, we'll just take you back. We'll take you back to the birthing room. Do you remember when you were there in the birthing room? And you came out of your mama, you remember that? You were there, you should have a good memory of that day. When you were delivered out of the womb, you were absolutely naked. You had no jewelry, you didn't have an eye watch on, you didn't have a baseball hat of your favorite team, the Dodgers on. You didn't have anything. You had nothing. You came into this world with nothing. And your first scream out of your mouth was you were speaking in tongues. And the interpretation was, give me stuff, I have nothing. And they wrapped you, put a little hat on you, and thus began your life. The Bible says, what do you have that you haven't been given? But because we live in such an industrious world, because we do work very hard, because we receive a paycheck, because of that, that are actually wages in exchange for hard work, you know, you do that long enough, you begin to think that, well, you know, what I have, I work for. What I have, and, and that's only secondary. Of course you work for it. Of course you work hard. Uh, praise God, God values hard work. He encourages hard work. That's not the point. The point is, is that for some reason, we think what we have, we own. And it actually isn't ours at all. All of it. I mean, anything over and above what you came into this world with. And even, even then, if you think about it, even then in your birth, life was given to you as a gift from God. It's not even your life or my life to live. Some of the greatest wrestlings in your flesh and mine is when I choose to live my own way, not what God desires for me. That's the spirit in the flesh. And so the, the, the call to the people was, you guys come and give. And give your best and give willingly. It, this sense of willingness is all throughout Exodus. Go to chapter 35 with me. Willingly is so vital. Like you gotta be willing to support and to give as unto the Lord. Notice in verse five of chapter 35. I mean, this is such a 
cool chapter uh, because it says, take from among you an offering to the Lord. This is 35.5. Whoever is of, what does your Bible say? A willing heart, let him bring to him an offering of the Lord, gold, silver, and bronze. And he repeats it again. Jump to verse 21. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was, what does your Bible say? Willing, mark it. Their heart were stirred and they were willing. They brought the Lord's offering. Look at verse 22. Then came both men and women, as many as had a willing heart, and they brought earrings and nose rings. Thanks for the nose rings, uh, but they brought them. Rings, necklaces, jewelry of gold. Check out verse 29. Then the children of Israel brought a free will offering to the Lord. All the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work which the Lord had done, it was free will, it was willing, it was stirred hearts, it was people connected to their God. So much so, check this out in chapter 36, so much so, notice in chapter 36, it says, verse 6, so Moses gave a commandment and they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp saying, let neither man or woman do any more work for the offering of the sanctuary. And the people were restrained from giving, for the material that they had was sufficient for all the work to be done, indeed too much. It's too much. Now, I've been pastoring for a long time and God has never had us say that. It's too much. But it would be cool to experience. Now I have, no, that, that's, so, so on some occasions, yes. So remember you guys, last month we collected change. Now it's amazing because we had a goal. We had a goal to bring in, uh, I think it was $12,000. And then after that, there was a sense of redefining it because maybe we underestimated. So that was $15,000. So Pastor Ian put together a video for us that they're going to queue up and they're going to show you the final number that came that we want you to keep your change now because we're done. So we're, we're, this is all brand new. We're going to figure it out as we go. Here you go. Here's the number. The final number is... Ta-da! So, so keep your change. We don't want any more change. So I, actually, I'll never say that again. I fulfilled chapter 36, verse 6. Don't bring it in anymore. But, but I, think, I think that the willingness of your heart and you know, every penny, every nickel, every quarter, even some of you put some dollar bills in there, all collectively came for this one project. So now, as you think about it, you participated in any way. Even if your kids brought in a penny they found on the street, it doesn't matter where they got it from, it doesn't matter. As you put it in, collectively, you see what can happen when everybody does a little. What can, what can happen when everybody does a lot? And now, now when, you, when we're praying and we get the team up here in a, couple, in a month or two, I forget when, we're, when they're leaving, we pray for them, we lay hands on them, and they go out to do the work, encourage the missionaries, minister to the church, and then put that conference on. And then when that conference happens and everybody there was paid for, complete, they don't have to worry about anything except showing up, you get to share in the joy of that. That was part of your, it doesn't matter how much or how little you put in collectively, we did that. And I'm always teaching the guys in the school ministry that we is always the language of ministry. It's not I and it's not what you did. It's what we do. And we are the, we are the, the language of family, the language of ministry, the language of a real church family is we. And God over and abundantly, and that number actually doesn't even include the extra grant that we told you about 
that it was an answer to a prayer when, when there was an underestimation of how much money was needed. So there's even more, but that was just the change. That was just what was in the bottles as they literally emptied them out every weekend and, and took them to get counted. And so here's the, here's the children of Israel and God is calling to everyone that has a willing heart. Now, I realize that not everybody has a willing heart. And that's just a bummer to hear and it's a bummer to see. I know that because not everybody gives. Not everybody tithes. Not anybody, you know, some of you haven't given anything to God in who knows, forever. You can use the front legs. You just, you, you've become so tight-fisted with what you have that when a call goes out to say, hey, anybody that has a willing heart, you automatically go, well, I don't have a willing heart, so, so I'm done. But for the sake of what God's stirring up in our lives, <clears throat> the Spirit of God so moved on the people and the children of Israel that Moses told them, stop. You've fulfilled everything that we've needed. We have all that we need in order to build the tabernacle. Now, Paul touches on this, Paul the Apostle, in the New Testament. So would you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9? Now, we've done much deeper studies on giving as a church, and so you can look at those through 2 Corinthians um, that in, in that section there. Now, some of you, I also realized last night, like, this is your first, you, you visited our church in Easter, and now you, this is your very first service with us, and you're like, I knew it, honey. All they would do is ask for money. And, and that's just, there, they, there we are again. And, and so I, I won't ask for anything from you that the Lord doesn't ask. Uh, and, you know, we won't manipulate you here. We won't twist your arm here. And if you've been around Calvary long enough, you know, you know, there's actually a, a pendulum that swings when it comes to this topic. And, you know, from a pastor and teaching where one side of the pendulum swings over here, where it's just crazy, taking advantage of people, making stuff up, trying to, to, to squeeze people and manipulate you and everything. So that's one side. Uh, we've never, we've never, I can say that with clean conscience, we've never swung to that side at all. But the other side is you don't talk about it at all. <laughs> You're just like, well, you know, if the Lord's going to, uh, if people are going to give, then the Lord's going to teach them. Yeah, he's going to teach them through the word. And so probably, I probably swing too far to that side. And over the years, the Lord has led me to say, just tell them what the Bible says, Ed. Just let the Bible say what it says. And this is what it says. And if people have made a mistake in the past and they, you know, and I, I just have to say, some of you have been taken advantage of by another ministry. And, and just know this, you gave unto the Lord and God will bless you for that. Even if somebody took advantage and somebody did something dumb, your heart, now you could have, given with greed. You know, you could have given like, well, if a hundredfold return, I could really use that right now. God will sort that out. And if that was your motive, you learned your lesson. It's like, you don't give for greedy reasons. You give because you're so in love with God. You're just so joyful of what he's done in your life. You're just so grateful that you're not walking around like you were born anymore. That would be weird. Like God has put clothes on your back and a roof over your head, food in your stomach. And, and even if you're in a struggling time right now, and even if you're wrestling, which I know some of you are, when you begin to compare who, where you are compared to 99% of the world, God has blessed you to even be in this environment, that you're struggling in this environment and not in another environment where... Some are really, some people when they open the Bible in some countries really do cling to the words of Jesus to when they pray asking for their daily bread. 
you know, we don't so much pray for our daily bread anymore. I mean, there are an occasions when we get desperate and we ask God for something in the moment, but God has been so abundantly gracious to us that we're praying for bigger and better things. And God sorts those prayers out too. But notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, there's this spiritual principle that Paul speaks of when it comes to giving. When it comes to giving, verse 6, Paul says, But I say this, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, or of necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver. It's just, I, I, he just loves this sense of, of being happy to be a part of what God's doing. And notice, even as you give, you're like, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, always having all sufficiency in all things, that you may have an abundance for every good work. Why should I give? Well, God does a work through giving. Now, there is some confusion today because you know you listen about the tithe. Now the tithe just is a reference to a number, it's 10%. So we kind of use that number, but you know the tithe wasn't an old covenant thing because you go, well, you know, I'm not a part of the old covenant, which would be right, you're not. You're part of the new covenant. But you know the tithe predates the covenant. And we learned that with Abraham. We've studied that with Abraham. Remember, Abraham gave tithes long before the law came. So, so that's not even, some people like to, you know, oh, I've got theological reason why I don't give. Yeah, but you got it wrong. The tithe isn't an old covenant thing. And actually, it's just the beginning. If you do a careful study of the children of Israel, through all of their giving to God throughout the whole year, it was far more than 10%. They gave all sorts of things unto the Lord. And this was a free will offering. This giving was above and beyond anything they would normally do. It was far more than what their regular giving would be. But for the believer in the new covenant, the standard is even greater. And that is, give how God purposes in your heart. Which is another thing that people go, you know, I don't give because God hasn't purposed in my heart. Then you're not connected to God. You go, Ed, that was pretty mean. I'm not being mean, it's just the way it is. What do you mean God didn't purpose in your heart? What, what, do you, what, what do you mean? When's the last time you prayed? You say, oh Lord, tell me what I should give. And then you finish, I prayed, Ed, God didn't say anything. Well, what are you talking about? Well, this is what, this is what you have to face. In 2 Corinthians, if you give bountifully, you'll be blessed bountifully. Now again, this isn't this, this, isn't this sense of, of I'm giving to get something from God. God's just telling you the truth. If you're a generous person, you'll be met with generosity. But if you're a selfish person, you'll be met with selfishness. That's just the way it is. We have a new phrase here that we've adapted in, into our ministry here. I love it. It's just kind of a phrase that, it, that really covers this, and that is generosity increases or multiplies capacity. And all that really means is through the generosity of his, of his church, there are more opportunities available. And, I, you know, they've done studies. I haven't seen one recently. I haven't been looking for them. But people that live in this world, in this space, they do a lot of studies, a lot of research. And people study churches. And they, they've come up every year that if, if the church, if, if people, believers, that call it, people that say they're believers and follow God and attend church would, would just tithe the bare minimum of what they make, just the 10%, that's all you did. Every bill, every mortgage, every debt of every church in the entire United States would be paid off. And with the excess of that money, there, there would be more 
food programs, more benevolence programs, more homeless outreach. Like, like the resources that God has entrusted to his church are far beyond what we can even conceive. And in your own life, because I know when we talk about giving and immediately you begin to you, you begin to, to assess your own life and it might be a tough time and a difficult time. And, and when you hear a, a Bible study on giving, you're, you're, you'll hear something like this. You know, Ed, and maybe you're thinking it, but you're not saying it out loud. You go, Ed, I, Pastor, I, I, don't, I can't afford to give right now. I can't afford to give. You know, I've got this big bill that came in and I have this credit card and I've got a car payment and they raised the rent. But I know in my life, I've learned with my family that I can't afford not to give. I've just learned that God has taught us and I taught the kids at a young age to give freely and willingly. Even though we were training our kids, they weren't all that willing, let me tell you. They just weren't all that willing. But we taught them that from the increase of what they get, 10% off the the top, don't even think about going to Toys R Us before you give to the Lord. Don't even think about it. Don't even ask. Don't, Don't even take the catalog out. Don't even dream. If you have a dream about toys, before you give, get rid of that dream. That's why I told, no, I didn't do that with the kids, but we taught our kids. We got that little bank that had three different sections and we taught them from an early age. You give, even, and we went all, I went, I went all the way as a dad. If they got birthday gifts, like a gift card, they needed to give even off those gift cards. You know, they cop an attitude. What do you want me to do, dad? Cut it, you know, cut 10% off the card. Bro, you keep that up, I'm going to make you get 50%. You know, it's like, no, no, we converted into money and we had them give. And then they bring that section of their, uh, and when they were kids, they just throw it in the offering. In the church I came from, there was an offering plate and they had something in the children's ministry too. So they would just dump it in. But when they got older, they'd put it into envelopes. They'd get a statement for it and they would begin to see the faithfulness in giving. That, that's what we adopted. It, it, as a family, you know, early on, I wrestled with this concept of giving because I walked into a church like this, much bigger than this, and I sat where you sat, and I looked around, and I'm like, they got it pretty well taken care of. They don't need my money. I need my money more than they need my money because I didn't know God. I didn't hear from God on the topic. I just walked in with my own assessment, and then when I started to learn about what God was teaching, Marie and I made a concerted effort to give of the first fruits. So, you know, back then, I made four or five hundred bucks a week. We gave 40, 50 bucks right off the top, just straight up, you know, because the, the other question when it comes to giving, I'm packing a lot of stuff into a small message, but I always think, you know, man, well, Ed, should I give off the gross or should I give off the net? Well, even the government knows that you owe them off the gross. They take it out before you even get a chance to look at it. You don't even get to see it. But truly, in relationship to God, what, what do you think God's word is on the matter? I won't give you the answer. You, you seek God on the matter. What, what, what is it that you think is the increase in your life? What is it that you want to so bountifully in what God's doing? And I'm not just talking to the church. I mean, you have a responsibility to your local church, but there are a lot of needs. I think generosity should mark the believer. Just like love should mark the believer. There should be a difference in us. I was thinking this, just processing it, that the world, the world system should not outgive the believer. It just, we shouldn't be outgiven by the world. We shouldn't be less generous uh, than the world. And I know they've got a lot of different things they give to, but 
you know, the, the reality of the ministry of the local church. I believe the local church is God's will in reaching the world. He demonstrated that in the book of Acts. He planted a church in Jerusalem, and it was from Jerusalem that the work of the ministry went out and to each of the cities. It's the local church, and you can't afford not to give. I don't remember as we were learning to give too that, that we came to that conclusion. It was a very difficult conclusion, but we came to that conclusion that we wanted, we really believed and was convicted uh, Marie to stay home and raise our children because we didn't grow up like that. I don't know about you, but I didn't grow up with my parents at home. They worked all the time. And they, we were what, they invented a phrase to describe kids like me. I was a latchkey kid. And I basically left in the morning before I saw my parents and I came home to an empty house, which provided ample opportunity for me to get into a lot of trouble. And I did. My sister as well. And, and my wife, she was raised in a single mom home. And, and her mom worked multiple jobs, long days and long hours. And so she too was, came home to a home with her siblings. Uh, she didn't have a mom at home and didn't have a dad. And when we started assessing our lives and we got saved, we didn't think of this before we got saved. Before we got saved, make as much money as you can. That's how we lived. And it's not like we were rich or anything, but man, we went after as much of the buck as we could get. And both of us working was far more beneficial than one of us working, but then we got saved and we began to have, like the Bible says in the last days, God will turn your hearts of the fathers toward their kids. And I remember what a sacrifice it was because at the time, and it would have been if I continued on in that profession, that Marie made more money than we did, than I did. She had all the medical insurance and, and it was such a, I went to a men's retreat and this pastor with a deep voice was pounding the pulpit and he made a strong case for staying home. And I went, I remember, Marie probably remembers it as well. She was here last night. She smiled at me, but I'm sure she was thinking other things. And I came home <laughs> and I said, this is what we're going to do. Well, that doesn't fly with Marie. And especially back then where we were a lot rawer in our walk. And, and it took some time. It took some time for the Lord to convince us both to step out in faith for that step. Now, you know, she's, she, she has, we made that decision, but then our income was cut. So now we're living on one income, which wasn't very much. And there wasn't any, like it was just, it was, God was teaching us that he will take care of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He was teaching us that whatever faith step you need to take, maybe a faith step is for you to go to work. You know, you're gonna have to seek the Lord on that and make your choice unto the Lord. I just know in my testimony, stay, having her stay home was the best thing for our kids. It was the best thing, and I'm glad that we did it. And, and it was the, from that, we were able then to train our kids on how to depend on the Lord with whatever they had and now as I see them grow up, I see my oldest when he got married, he had that pattern. Uh, and my kids now, that seeing them have that pattern in their life. Why? Because that's God's desire. Not only that, I want you to notice, and that's all we're going to be looking at is giving today, but I want you to notice that not only were they to come willingly, not only were they to come faithfully, but they were also to bring their best. Their best. What did he ask for? Gold? Silver? And bronze, he didn't say, anybody that has a willing heart, find whatever there is in your house and bring it to God. No, get your gold. And then for, I think the earrings and everything is everybody said, I don't know where there's any gold. Where's there any gold? And it's hanging from your ears. You know, Give us the earrings. Give us what you value. 
give us, and I'm saying to, to God, like, man, this is gonna be a great thing. The tabernacle is so important. It's more valuable than the gold and the silver and all the things, like bring in the onyx stones and the stones that are gonna be set. Like bring in the stones that are gonna be on the priest's chest as he prays for the tribes of the children of Israel. Like this is no small thing. Which in the context of our little church here, I'm just gonna teach you what not to do, okay? I would say, don't be offended at me, but you probably will, so I'm not gonna tell you, okay? But when we put a call out for something in the church, like we'll probably, we're putting something together, we need some more furniture for the youth thing, for the upstairs youth. And we say, hey, hey everybody, we're not saying that now, but hey everybody, we need a couch and six chairs or whatever for the youth. Don't turn to your wife or husband and go, babe, it's time to buy us a new couch. Because the church can use the flea-infested, dirty, 50-year-old couch we've been that was handed down to us by six other people. And here's, here's the word. We don't want your old ratty couch. Don't bring it. Don't bring it. Bring God your best. Bring God your best. Don't bring God your seconds. I mean, some of the things, some of the things goodwill doesn't even want. Why would you think your church wants it? Bring your best. Or don't give it all. If you don't have a willing heart, don't do it. And I really mean that. If you want to be in tune with God in this church, then give with a willing heart. If you don't have a willing heart, keep it. Keep it. The Lord will provide. It's, it, it, God, if he's leading, and this is what we've learned over the years, where God is guiding, he will provide. So don't, you know, go up to the, oh man, I know I'm all busted now, I gotta give, and here, you know, write the check, and you're just so mad writing the check, I hate this, I don't wanna give this, I could buy this thing for my, just keep it and go buy it. And let, it, let the Lord deal with you. And we'll just use what we've been given, for the glory of God. We'll use whatever we have, large or small. In a church like ours, in the life, you know, I have a lot of friends in a lot of churches, but I know ours the best. It's a very generous church. Extremely generous. You're a very generous people. You, you have risen to the occasion on all sorts of things, and you're involved in things that you don't even know about in terms of just keeping things not, we believe as a church, not to let our right hand know what our left hand is doing. And so we don't make a big deal about most of the things that happen through the life of this church. We don't make a big deal of some, something that where we helped a pastor with his cancer surgery or we put a phone system in another church or we helped a, a pastor go get some time away after they committed adultery. And you, you know, we don't publicize all that. We just do it. We just bless and encourage. Sometimes you get to be a part of it, you know, something like the radio might be, like some, you know, the food bank, we might say we serve these many families. I mean, we want you to know, but, but the reality is that God has been very gracious through the generosity of his church. Now, of course, you know, some of you have never given a dime, so you can't be, participate. You, you can't like, man, but the, the, but the fruit from your life, the fruit from your giving, I don't know how God's going to sort it all out, actually. I don't know how the rewards are gonna work, but I think of you know, just radio station, um, just the radio, not only the radio station, but the Bible teaching from this church that's all around the world. Um, and people get, their lives get changed and just things, like I don't know how it's all gonna sort out, but it's not gonna be me. 
I'm not the only one in line where you go, oh, great job, Ed. You get all the credit. No, no, we are going to participate. This is our church. This is what God is doing. And that's why we like to be involved in other churches because we want to be a part of the fruit in their lives too. That's why when, when, a, when a guy's struggling with something, we want to be a part of it. If, if that's what the elders agree, we want to be a part of it so that the fruit for their church can spill over. And we're the church, capital C. We're the church. And God wants you just like here. So, so with that in mind, as we're looking at the tabernacle, you could say this, and I think it'd be safe to say, Without the people giving, there wouldn't be a tabernacle. Now, could God do it without the people? The answer is yes. But he chose to do it with the people and through the people. And by the way, where did the slaves from Egypt get all this wealth? Gold, silver, onyx stones, very precious threads and dyes. They were slaves. Where did they get it from? Well, you know. They plundered the Egyptians before they left. God gave it to them. That's why they came after them and chased after them, which opened up the sea, and there was a miraculous work of God. But God is the one that gave them everything that they gave. And they gave willingly. And they were excited. And they gave so much that Moses said, keep your nose rings, we don't need any more. <laughs> Just keep them. And we'll build the tabernacle. And that's how the rest of the chapter is going to be. So Father, we want to be a generous people. And we want to grow in understanding. We, wanna, we, want, we don't want to be a selfish people. Um, and... Even if some of the message hits in a wrong spot, then just minister to the people that are hit with the wrong spot. But I found that, God, people that give love messages on giving because it stirs them up. They're just so excited to be a part. Just like the change. You know, whether it's a penny, a nickel, or somebody dropped a $10 bill in that bucket, it all added up. And it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't something for us to uh, take glory in. It was just something for us to enjoy. We got to participate with the mission work in the Philippines. That's kind of a cool deal. I'm not going to be there, um, but I'm going to envision and see the pictures of the conference and be so excited by the smiles on their faces, the rest that they're getting. Um, it's going to be a cool thing um, because I remember dumping that cup from all the change in my car. And so... Thank you, God, for the privilege of being a part of what you're doing and for meeting every need in our church family. Pray for those that are struggling right now. It's, it's a hard message sometimes when we're wrestling with finances and deep debt and all that, but God, you're, you're able to provide. You're able to get people out of debt. You're able to teach us how to use money, how to use unrighteous mammon for the kingdom of God, how to learn this world system and even use the world system for the glory of, of your worship, Lord, and and so you know, God, the things that are on our hearts. You know the, the needs that we have. Um, you know the, the, you know. So we just yield ourselves to you and worship you today in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. 
For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.